following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm ready to get into the Word this morning, and I'm excited for, for what we have to share this morning. If you have an opportunity to take some notes, I would encourage that, because we're going to cover a lot of ground, and it's important for us to, to be effective. Uh, we've got better things to do than just kill a couple of hours on Sunday morning and call that, you know, church. I mean, I want us to grow and mature, and getting into the Word is part of that. So as we come together and get into the Word, I look forward to God doing great things but I also look forward to him doing great things throughout the week as you have the opportunity to revisit some of the things that we look at this morning. Uh, we're going to open up with a passage of Scripture that we've stood on throughout a series, and we're about halfway into it here. But here's a few things that you're going to find today. As we get into the Word today, these are a few things that we're going to find. Things that you can look for, things that you can identify throughout the Scripture, things that you can look forward to as we go through the Word together. We're going to find out something that God is. Now, you've got to understand, when you identify something that, that makes up who God is, you can be guaranteed that it's unwavering, because he doesn't change. So when you identify the things that describe God or make up who he is, those are things that are 100% absolute. They're never going to vary or change in any way. We're going to find out a very important element of who God is. Another thing that we're going to find is who gets the kingdom of God. Who gets the kingdom of God? Now, we talk about the kingdom of God. I mean, it's important. The scripture says that it's made up of righteousness and peace and joy. Those are all things that we desire and need in our lives. I mean, if you were to ask me the things that I believe every Christian needs, that would make it up. I mean, to understand and function and operate and live in righteousness and to have the peace of Jesus Christ as your king and the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life, those are the, the elements that make up the kingdom of God. We're going to find a passage of scripture that reveals who gets that. I mean... We preach sermons on it. We, we have uh, seminars and conferences about the kingdom of God, and we write songs about the kingdom of God. But there's some very simple elements in the scripture that reveal who lives and operates in the kingdom of God and who does not. And I would like for us to be the people who accomplish the things that God calls us to, to function, operate, live, and dwell in the kingdom of God. We're going to find out what that is. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what needs to be or what needs to happen for every person or every Christian to be fruitful, to be productive. And you know, we bless the kids with fruitfulness, and there's, there's the anointing to prosper that God has placed upon our life, but there are some biblical things that we need to, to pursue, that we need to look at and observe so that we can examine our lives to find out if we're positioned to be productive. Are we positioned to be fruitful? And I want to find that in the scripture this morning. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. So let's get going here in the book of James. If you have your Bibles, the book of James chapter 3 is where we're going to look. We're going to look specifically at verse 17. We've been in a series where we've been looking for heavenly wisdom. And we began this series because every one of us has elements of our life where we're seeking direction or counsel from God. And the question would arise, am I hearing God or not? Is it me? Is it God? Is it an outside influence? And so we pulled this passage of James to establish what heavenly wisdom will look like, what it will sound like, what it will consist of. The book of James, chapter 3, verse 17, it reads like this. Heavenly wisdom, or wisdom from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, 
unwavering and without hypocrisy. Now, one of the things that we've established is that when God is speaking to us, when he's leading us and guiding us by his written word, by his spoken word, his direction, his counsel, his instruction will always be those things. It doesn't go, it's not going to be one or two of those things. It will always be all of those things. So if you're hearing God's counsel or hearing his direction in your life, you ought to be able to check off every single one of those boxes, pure, meaning holy, peaceable, meaning making peace possible, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. If there's any one of those boxes that remains unchecked, you're not hearing God. Because God's wisdom, his heavenly wisdom, his direction, his counsel from above will always be described as all of those things. He's just that consistent. He's unchanging, unfailing, and he's never going to go outside of those things as he gives us direction and counsel. I want to talk about a couple of things. We've talked about pure. We've talked about holiness and that God's wisdom will always be holy. And why? We've talked about peaceable and the difference between peaceable and peaceful. We've talked about gentle and, and how God's wisdom will always be gentle and he's leading us into gentleness with gentleness. Reasonable. We talked about that last week. Willing to yield or, or positioned or made ready to obey. If you missed any of those messages, I want to encourage you to go back and find them on the website or get caught up. Today, we're going to talk about full of mercy and good fruits. As God's counsel enters into your life, as he's speaking to you, leading you, guiding you, and directing you, his direction will always be full of mercy and good fruits. I want to talk for a moment about mercy and what it is. I told you before we're going to find out you know, what God is or, or a part of who he is, what makes him up. I want to look at a, a passage of scripture here out of the Psalms, Psalm 145, verse 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. Now, it begins like this, the Lord is. So the description that you're about to hear is going to be a description of who God is. The Lord is. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and great in loving kindness. We can take that passage and establish a wonderful truth that God is merciful. Being merciful makes up who he is. Now we have this wonderful instruction. It can be wonderful and it can be terrifying depending on, on how we live our lives and the choices we make and the words that we choose to, to release through our mouths and the actions that we perform. I want to give you a passage of scripture that gives us an instruction. Now, once we've established that God is merciful, I want you to see something in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 36. Luke 6, 36. It's an instruction for me and for you. It's simple, and it reads like this. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Now, that just as there is, is a call to being identical, behave in the same way, function in the same way. No double standard allowed. But our call and our, our, our anointing and our heavenly wisdom leading us and guiding us and directing us is always going to be positioning us to be just like God as it concerns being merciful. So I want to find out what being merciful actually means. I mean, 
I have kind of an idea. There's some words that we tend to blur together in the church. You know, we talk about God's mercy and his grace and, and all of those things. And sometimes those words can kind of blend into just one understanding of, of what it is or what it means or who God is or how it functions. But I want us to specifically look at the word mercy. And I want to turn to the dictionary. I want to have a good understanding of it in English. So I want to give you a, a definition of the word mercy based on the English dictionary here. So if you go to the English dictionary, you look up the word mercy, you're going to find this. Compassion or forgiveness shown toward someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Compassion or forgiveness shown toward someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. Now, you have to think about that. You know, I mean, being an American and especially being a Texan, we become so fixated on what it's our right to do. What this is saying is you would have every right to execute punishment or every right to execute harm, but yet you choose not to. And when we have that definition, it should, it should increase our awareness and our understanding of what God has done through Jesus in each of our lives. That he's manifest the fullness of his mercy when he had every right to snuff us out, when he had every right to destroy us, annihilate us, when he had every right to punish us justly for all eternity. He chose not to. And the scripture has called us to go and be just like him in that. To forego those rights. To not be worried about whether or not we're right or wrong but to simply be merciful to those that we deal with, those that we speak to, those that we interact with. Mercy is a wonderful and powerful thing. In fact, I want to just tell you this about mercy. I mean, mercy is where God meets with you. I'll give you a little passage of Scripture, and I mean, you can take this for face value. You can read more about it in your own time, but it's out of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 25. I want to look at verses 21 through 22. Now, through movies and television and media and through storybooks with pictures and illustrations, we can have images of a, a piece of history, a, a religious artifact known as the Ark of the Covenant. It's the chest that the Hebrews made and they carried around with them when they moved and it had within it uh, the broken tablets of the Ten Commandments. It had a jar of manna. It had the rod that budded that, that identified Aaron as having priestly authority it carried around this, this rich history of God and his covenant with his people. And the, the way that it was designed was intentional. Very specific instructions were given and what wood could be used to make it and how it was to be overlaid with gold and, and how it was to be transported and carried. And on the lid, there were these two angelic beings. They're known as cherubim. And these two things leaned forward toward each other. And some of us have images that we've seen in movies that come to mind. And I'm not so sure that that's 100% what it would look like. But that really doesn't matter. What I want to talk about is what those two cherubim meant. What they were doing there. I mean, I don't think God just got bored and decided, you know, let's, let's deck this thing out. You know? I mean, just having a box is cool. But what if we really just put some, the, the, the LX package Let's, let's really trim this thing out. But he did something. He described what he wanted, and there was a reason why he wanted it. I want to read these passages about the Ark of the Covenant. And God's speaking, and he's giving instructions, and he says this. You shall put the mercy seat. Did you hear the word mercy there? 
You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony which I give you. And it's there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony. It's from there I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment. I mean, it's an interesting piece of our history. The history of our faith. And here, even now today, to know that God is speaking to each one of us. That he's always speaking from the point of mercy. Because he owes us absolutely nothing. If we were to get what we deserve outside of Jesus Christ, it would be death and destruction. But all of the communication, all of the impartation, all of the transfer of heavenly goodness into our life, God's favor into our life, is going to come from the seed of mercy. We're called to function and operate in the same way. Now there's some obstacles to mercy. Now remember when God's speaking to us, when he's giving us counsel, when he's giving us direction, it's always going to be full of mercy and good fruits. We're looking at mercy now. There's some obstacles to mercy. And when we see these obstacles, we can understand maybe why our enemy has certain plans and schemes to cause us to stumble in these areas. I've seen some of these obstacles a lot among Christians. You'll see them exist in church communities. They're very divisive. They hinder mercy. And when they hinder mercy, they hinder God's direction and his calling. And they hinder his will from being carried out in our lives. So I want to look at these things for the purpose of identifying them and examining our own lives to see if they exist. If they exist, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It is something to take seriously and to respond to. We need to get these things out of our lives. The first obstacle of mercy that I want to give you is grudges. Grudges. I mean, what do you think of when you think of the word grudge, right? I'm just wanting to just let the wheels turn there. I mean, I, I kind of think of like a steel cage and, you know, a wrestling grudge match or something like that. But the concept of having a grudge is, is this, this enmity, this, this hatred, this rivalry that transcends competition. Where it's not business, it's personal. I don't just want them to fail, I want them to fail hard. I don't just want them to lose, I want to annihilate them. Where there's a drive in us to afflict, that's a grudge. When someone has done something to us and our response is to not forgive, we open up the door for a grudge to exist. For us to always have a point of hatred or a point that requires or desires vindication. It'll be a hindrance to God's mercy flowing through our lives. I'll give you a passage of scripture. I mean, if I were to ask you if you knew what Jesus commanded us to do, many of us in the room would say, well, he told us to, to love our neighbor as ourself. And you would be speaking rightly. It's what he said to do. He told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then if I were to ask this question following that, well, what does that mean? That's when the wheels would have to start to turn. What would it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? How can we fulfill that commandment? It's one thing to have it memorized. It's one thing to be able to recite it as a cadence. And it's another thing to understand what it means. And when we understand what it means, we can put it to practice and open up the door for God's mercy to flow through our lives. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. I want to read the passage to you as it's written there. 
It says, you shall not take vengeance or hold any grudge. Did you hear that? You will not take vengeance or you shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge. Did you catch the word grudge there? You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. For us to love our neighbor, for us to fulfill what Jesus has called us and commanded us to do, it's going to mean laying down all desire to vindicate oneself and lay down every single grudge. There's no room for it. It may be easier said than done, but we need to understand that we have one who vindicates on our behalf. And he's just, he's merciful, he's gracious. And in his way, he will deliver each one of us according to his perfect will. When we lay down our grudges, when we lay down our desire to vindicate, we position Jesus to function and operate as our king, just as God called him to function and operate. Another obstacle to God's mercy flowing through our lives is cruelty. Somebody say cruelty. Yeah, I think I'm adding a syllable in there. I think the, the spirit of my father came upon me. Some, some know my dad. There were some words that he couldn't say. It was, it was interesting, and it was funny, and it was, it was not at all an insult. It was just interesting. Cruelty. Cruelty will hinder the mercy of God flowing through our lives. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. I'll give you a couple of them. <clears throat> One's going to be from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6, verse 23. Cruelty, just the, the desire to afflict a meanness inside of us. I mean, the first one was a grudge, which meant you did something to me and now I want to get you back. This one is just cruelty, meaning you may have not done anything with me. I just don't like you. And so I'm going to afflict. Any kind of a streak of cruelty or meanness, no matter what it's rooted in, will always hinder the mercy that we need flowing through our lives from flowing through our lives. Jeremiah 6, 23. It says, they who are cruel have no mercy. They who are cruel have no mercy. And we need to understand that this passage of Scripture is not one way. It's two ways. It's not just that cruel people aren't merciful. Because based on the scripture, when we're not merciful, we don't receive mercy. Matthew 5 verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When we function and operate in cruelty, and we cut off mercy from our lives, it's not just mercy going out, we cut off mercy coming in. And I can assure you that there's not one of us in the room that isn't in desperate need of mercy flowing in. So here's a third obstacle of mercy in our life. I want to give it to you the way I have it in my notes, but I'm not convinced that this is the best way to present it. So what I want to offer to you is the willingness to, or the ability to be flexible in how you write this down in your notes. It may communicate differently to you, but I would like for you to consider it just the same. This third obstacle to mercy, ignorance. Ignorance, meaning a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge. I'll give you the passage of Scripture that this is based on, and, and I want to talk about it for just a moment. We won't dwell on it long. But out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look at verses 17 and 18. 
Now, it speaks specifically about Jesus, and we need to understand that Jesus is our example. He's referred to as the apostle. He has set the standard for us to to live and operate and function by through his life, his words, his actions. And this describes his life. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that, I mean, can you just say so that with me? Yeah, so that's important to catch there. Because it's going to identify why he was made like his brethren, which is a big deal. I mean, made like his brethren sounds really simple. The truth is you could make that a much more complicated sentence. You could say, you know, that he, he emptied himself of all of the, the divine privileges that he had and the equality that he had with God Most High, the creator of the heavens and the earth. But this made like his brethren is just a simple way to put that. And when you consider what it means, it's mind-blowing. And the reason why he was made like his brethren is revealed following the so that. He was made to be like his brethren in all things so that he might become. I want to pause there, the word become. If you become something, what does that mean? It means some kind of change, right? It means you weren't that way before. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a Christian. And then there was a moment where I became a Christian. In that moment, I was becoming a Christian. Become is going to reveal some sort of change. So Jesus emptied himself, became just like his brethren, so that he might become merciful. The word says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. And to make propitiation, that means be a sacrifice in your place or in my place, for the sins of all people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I just want to pause here, and it may be a bit of a stretch, but I don't think so. I know that God has put me in positions throughout my life so that I might become aware of what people go through in order that I might be merciful. The things that I've known in my past, whether it would be a bondage or an addiction, whether it be an awareness of a problem or a situation or a circumstance, equip me today to help people who are walking through a bondage or an addiction or a situation or a circumstance that is bringing affliction into their life. And it's very important for us as believers to remember that our testimony has tremendous power. The things that God has delivered us from, the things that he has drawn us and brought us through, the things that he's equipped us to overcome, help us now to be merciful toward those who are yet to be delivered, yet to be brought through. And we become the catalyst for that deliverance and salvation as the Spirit of God operates through us. So as God's speaking to us, leading us and guiding us, it's going to be full of mercy. It's going to be full of good fruits. I want to talk to you about good fruits for a moment. Good fruits, I mean, good fruit is a matter of life or death. For each one of us, this is a a very important thing to dial into. There's a need for some self-examination to to look at our words and look at our actions and and ask ourselves the question and measure against the Word of God and be convicted by the Spirit of God in any place where we fall short and respond with repentance and the actions of repentance. To be those that would bear good fruit. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. Matthew 3, verse 10. 
is written like this. The axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, this metaphor that's being offered here is revealing to us that we ought to be aware of what we produce. What is the product of my life? Do I produce the things of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit being love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do I produce the things of the kingdom of God? Righteousness and peace and joy. Do I produce light? Do I produce the things that are of God or am I producing the things that are of the world? And based on the passage of Matthew, a warning is issued that if we're not producing those things that are eternal and everlasting, then the axe is laid at the root of the tree and the tree is destined to be cut down and thrown to the fire. I want to give you a passage of scripture, words that Jesus spoke. You'll find them in the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, so every tree that bears good fruit is a good tree. And every tree that bears bad fruit is a bad tree. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit, it will be cut down and thrown to the fire. You'll know trees by their fruits. He actually says you'll know them by their fruits. Because the example that he's using with, with the orchard of trees and the fruits that it produces is an example to draw our attention to our own lives. He's speaking of people. He's speaking of me and you. We ought to be aware of the importance of evaluating what it is that our life is producing. And we have the opportunity because of the authority of Jesus and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to produce that which gives life. I want to give you a passage of scripture for your notes here. Out of the Proverbs, Proverbs 11, verse 30. It reads like this, that the fruit of the righteous. Now the righteous would be you and I because of the blood of Jesus, living out our lives in the authority of his name and the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. We can step into any situation or any circumstance, any problem, any challenge, any issue. We can step in and be the carrier and the catalyst for all that brings life. All that brings solution. There's not a single problem that exists in this world that the solution does not abide in this room right here because of the Spirit of God in each of us. Being fruitful has tremendous benefits. Bearing good fruit. I mean, I want to give you a couple of these benefits here. Let's look at Proverbs 8, verse 19. It speaks of this good fruit and this fruitfulness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and it yields better than the choicest silver. That fruitfulness that God's called us to, that he's anointed us to walk in, and that which he's anointed us to produce is more valuable than any currency on the earth. Matthew 21, verse 43. I told you we were going to find out who will get the kingdom of God. I want to find it here in Matthew. Anyone interested in righteousness, peace, or joy in the Holy Spirit? Anyone interested in Jesus being your king and leading and guiding you in all justice and all righteousness and faithfulness ought to pay attention. Matthew 21, verse 43. The kingdom of God will be given to a people producing the fruit of it. 
the kingdom of God will be given to a people producing the fruit of it. It makes me want to do a little bit of a a fruit check, evaluation. What am I producing with my words and my actions? If the fruit of the kingdom of God, or if it consists of righteousness, peace, and joy, I need to ask myself, do my words and my actions produce righteousness, peace, and joy? Or do I come in like a, a storm cloud, and when I leave the room, people are oppressed, Depressed, fearful, anxious. We need to evaluate how we carry ourselves, how we speak and how we function and how we operate for the purpose of producing the fruit of the kingdom that we might abide in the kingdom according to that scripture. I'll give you a passage of scripture here because I want you to see that it's God's will that we abide in this kingdom. John chapter 15 verse 16. It's very liberating Scripture to read and understand, knowing the power of choice. Jesus speaks and he says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. I mean, you want to look at that verse, you're going to have three things stand out. One, that God chose you. And we have a saying in my house. And oftentimes this saying comes with conviction. What you choose is what you love. If I choose not to be home for dinner because I've got an emergency that I need to deal with, what I've chosen is what I love. Now I understand that there are times where there are exceptions, but when, the, when it becomes it can so consistent that there's no longer an exception, then it becomes the rule. And when we can understand that what you choose is what you love, the idea that God would choose us is revealing of the foundation of our relationship, which is His perfect love for you. You've been chosen. Then you've been appointed. Appointed, meaning given an assignment. That assignment is that you would bear good fruit and that that good fruit would remain. And then there's a so that. That once we're aware of this choosing and this appointment, once we know the foundation that God loves me and that He's called me to be fruitful, all of this is so that. So that whatever we ask the Father in His name would be granted unto us. When we're bearing good fruit, we're not producing selfish ambition, selfish desires, carnal desires, sinful desires, but whether we're producing the good fruit that he's called us to produce, the fruit of his kingdom, righteousness and peace and joy, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace, patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When those are the driving forces behind the motive for all of our actions and all of our requests, there's no room for sin or corruption. So the question is now, how do I produce this fruit? What is it that I need to do to become a fruitful guy? If Jesus is leading me and guiding me and all of his heavenly wisdom is going to be full of mercy and full of good fruits, what is that leading me and guiding me to do? Well, I'll give you a a list of three things here. One would be righteous living. I want to make this very clear. There's no holiness for us but the blood of Jesus. There is no righteous living that would qualify for life eternal in the presence of God our Father. 
It's the blood of Jesus and the atoning blood of Jesus alone that washes away and removes every stain of sin. What I'm referring to here is how we live our lives upon becoming Christians. The choices and the decisions that we make. Righteous living. Choosing to do things God's way rather than our way. Choosing to walk in the freedom that he purchased for us through the blood of Jesus rather than using our own desires and ambitions to return to slavery. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8. It talks about how we can be fruitful. It says, therefore bear fruit. It's this instruction in how to be fruitful. Therefore, bear fruit. And now here comes that instruction. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning when you lay down a sin, when you lay down a corruption, when you lay down those things that lead to bondage, keep with having laid it down. Making different choices. Behaving differently. Speaking differently. Not returning to those things. Not having empty apologies, but true, true transformation through the power of repentance. Therefore, be fruitful or therefore bear fruit by keeping with repentance. Here's another way that we can be fruitful, another element of fruitfulness that we need in our life in order to bear that fruit that God's called us to, perseverance. Perseverance meaning we don't give up. We hang in there. There are many promises that are in God's word that I'm desiring to see come to pass. But if I give up on those promises and fail to persevere, it's going to be very difficult to see those things come to pass in my life. Rather, I trust in him, knowing that it's his word to fulfill and that he's faithful, that he's just, and he will do what he says he'll do. Luke chapter 8, verse 15. It says, The ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold to it fast will bear fruit with perseverance. It's talking about people who have heard God's promises, who know what he has in store for them, who believe that he's faithful and that he will keep and accomplish what he has spoken. Those people will hold to the word, they will see it come to pass, it will bear fruit, but then those last two words are the words that I want us to pay attention to, with perseverance. Meaning that we hang in there and we never give up. We never lose hope, and we trust that God will do what he said he will do. It leads us to the position of bearing fruit. And then here's last on the list when it comes to being fruitful. As we desire to move in that counsel that God gives us, being merciful and full of good fruits, it's going to require dying to self. I'll explain what that means, but I want to read a passage of Scripture. Jesus spoke this. In John 15, verse 16, he said, Truly, truly, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it then dies, it sprouts and produces much fruit. If you kept that grain and your goal was to preserve that grain, it would always just be that grain. It would never increase. It would never produce. But when there's the willingness to be laid down, when there's the willingness to die to self, you see multiplication. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, and I told you we were going to find out what needs to happen so that we can be fruitful. I want to find it here in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. It says, You were made to die so that you might be joined to him who was raised from the dead, 
In order that, did you hear in order that? So here's the reason why you were made to die, in order that you might be joined to him who was raised. You were made to die so that you might be joined with him who was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. Now I want to make this very clear. When we're called to die, it doesn't mean your heartbeat cease or you fail to breathe. It's speaking of your desires, your drives, and your ambitions that are carnal and self-seeking. Your desire to do things your way and not God's way. The call is for us to lay down all of the selfishness. The call is for us to lay down all of the selfish ambition. The call is for us to lay down all of the self-seeking for those things to perish. And then what remains is that perfect blank slate that can take upon itself the instruction that God would give, the wisdom from above that's full of mercy and good fruits that positions us to go and bear fruit. Be a fruitful people and be merciful just like God is merciful. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us this morning and I want to trust that God is going to do a work by His Spirit in each one of us. There's not an element of the word this morning that doesn't pierce my heart in some way. The need and the call to be merciful. There's been many times where I've been more concerned with my rights or being right than I was in being like God and being merciful. And then the call to be fruitful, to lay down our ambition and our desires, to lay down the things that we want to do and take on the things that God would call us to do in order that we might be productive I believe that that's a challenge that we walk in daily. And that's why Jesus would give instruction. Such as, in order to be my disciple, you must carry your cross daily. It's not a one-time choice. It's not something that you just simply say in a church service. You know, Pastor, I agree with that. And I think I, I, think I got touched that Sunday. But this is an everyday way of life. A way of choosing and making decisions. It requires a change in our heart. It requires a renewal in our mind. That's what I want to ask God to do. To do a work in each one of us where these things aren't just a good message for a Sunday that's soon forgotten about, but they become a, a way of life for each one of us that has an effect every single day. And there where you stand, I want to pray and just ask God to do these things for us. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. We can't comprehend the full measure of your love. We ask that you would transcend that which we measure by. I mean, let those old measures be shattered and let us see the, the goodness and the mercy with which you lead us and guide us and the fruitfulness that you've called us to. Let it not be measured with worldly standards, dollars and cents, possessions and material things. Let us become aware of the power and the authority that you so richly bestowed upon us in the call to produce that which is eternal, which doesn't rust and dry up, which doesn't turn to dust. But those eternal things, the things that you cherish, the things that you place worth and value upon, let us assign the same value and worth to those things that you place upon them. And I ask for a work to be done in each one of us here, in our hearts and in our minds, a transformation. 
Let there be an awareness and, and a discipleship that would take place through, through your word and the establishment of your word in our life. Let there be deliverance. Things that need to be removed, healed, or, or taken out of our life, let it be taken out in the mighty name of Jesus. And let there be a, a, a way for each one of us to step into that calling and that anointing that you have blessed us with, with every word of counsel that you speak. That call and that anointing to be merciful. The call and the anointing to be fruitful. Let the transformation necessary take place in each one of us here where we stand in agreement. Let it be in our heart. Let there be a transformation in our personality and how we function and operate that we would surrender all to you. And I ask that there would be a work in our mind, that there would be a renewal of our thinking, that even where there are old habits that lead to bad behavior, let there be a change and a transformation let there be an opportunity for new habits to be formed. And let these new habits bring you honor and glory as we live out our lives embracing, receiving, and releasing mercy. And as we live out our lives in a manner that produces good fruit. We bless your name and we thank you as we surrender to this work. Let it be established that every day from here out would be changed for your glory that there would be a transformation in how we think, how we speak, and how we function. Let our behavior be the behavior of the saints, your sons and your daughters on the earth, walking in the full authority of the name of Jesus and the full power of the Holy Spirit. We bless your name and we thank you. As you've called us to be merciful, let us be. As you've anointed us to bear good fruit, let it be produced. For your namesake and glory, we say thank you and rejoice in you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.